Welcome back to the Lumberhawk Podcast, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Gotta say it, this is not financial advice. Just a guy with a microphone and an internet connection trying to be educational and entertaining. All right, let's get into it. You know, Bitcoin is one of those things that once you start learning, you start going down this rabbit hole and you start to figure out how deep the rabbit hole actually is. I've been learning about Bitcoin for, I don't know, six, seven years, something like that. I still feel like I have a long way to go. So if you've been learning about Bitcoin for any time less than that, and you still feel like you haven't got it figured out yet, it's okay. We're all in that space. I would I would reckon that there are very few individuals who could confidently say and accurately say that they actually understand Bitcoin and all the impacts that it has and can have in the future and why. I'll give you some examples of some things that Bitcoin has taught me that I didn't think about when I first started this journey. Like most people, probably like you, I got interested in Bitcoin because I thought it's a cool, new, interesting technology and maybe I can make a shit ton of money. That that whole initial idea has shifted so dramatically as I continue to learn not only about Bitcoin, but about why Bitcoin exists and about what Bitcoin can accomplish, about how it's going to change our world. Some examples, Austrian and Keynesian economics. I didn't know anything about that. If you would have asked me in my early 20s what either of those words meant, I would have no idea. You could have asked me that five years ago, actually. It's a relatively recent point of education in my life. Just how free markets work and how our economy is way less of a free market than we are led to believe. The whole idea of inflation, I didn't know why we had inflation. I didn't really understand what inflation was. Most of the people I speak to today don't understand what inflation is, what it actually does, and why it's important to understand. Just in general, how money works like the history of money, why we created money. I mean, money is just an invention. It's an invented technology that we use in order to more easily exchange value amongst each other because bartering sucks. If I'm a goat farmer and you're a dairy farmer, sweet, I can trade you a goat for some milk. Cool. But then what? How do I get my house built? What if I only want a cup of milk? I just give you a piece of my goat? That doesn't make sense. So money simplifies all that. Money allows for scaling in an economy because it smooths out the transaction process. How about global reserve currencies? Why they're important? Why they play a significant role in global economics? How and why they provide so much power to their host country? It's no accident that the United States has been the dominant global force you want to call us a superpower relatively unchecked since we became the global reserve currency that is a trend that continues every time a new country has the global reserve currency what comes first the chicken or the egg i don't know that's up for debate the point is if you have monetary control over the planet that gives you an incredible leg up. 
I've learned a ton about game theory. I've learned a ton about the psychology of traders. I've learned about the Federal Reserve and how it's not a federal thing, really. And it's also not really a bank. I mean, it's kind of both, but it's kind of neither. It's also incredibly anti-free market. And I understand why it exists and why it has to exist. It has to exist because our system is built on Keynesian economics. It's built on a debt credit society. And that has its pros and cons. And I would argue largely at the end of the day that that system is doomed for failure eventually. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say the sky is falling or anything. It's not. It's time. But, I mean, I think everyone knows that the current way our economic machine works just racks up debt. And then when that doesn't work out and you can't tax your citizens anymore because they'll vote you out of office, then they just print more money, which is what's been happening for the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. Printing more money debases that money. And that's why ever since we came off the gold standard in 1971, the value of the dollar has lost like 95% of its value. That's not by accident. It's because they keep printing more. You print more dollars, that means all the dollars that are in existence have less value per unit because there are more units. But there's still relatively the same amount of goods and services out there. As GDP goes up, that's what provides a stronger dollar. But if inflation is going up, correction, if debasement is happening faster than GDP growth, then those dollars are worth less. That's why we're seeing near 10% inflation CPI numbers right now. And I say CPI, not inflation, because CPI is a government metric of inflation that is incredibly flawed. All of these things have taught me why financial sovereignty is really important. Another thing that it's taught me is that most people genuinely just want to build a better world. They want to have the tools and opportunities to make their lives better individually. And they also want to help the world and other individuals be better and be successful, as long as it doesn't take away from their personal success. And unfortunately, I'm learning that the fiat monetary system provides a lot of incentives for the opposite behavior. And it's really unfortunate and it's really sad. You have to fight against those incentives in order to be a good person. It's, it's rather difficult to be a really good person and be successful because the incentives are against you. Now I view most of my problems from an incentive-based viewpoint. I look at so many things. I mean, you've heard people say in the past, you know, you look at something that happened, what good, bad, indifferent, whatever, and you follow the money. And that'll explain the situation. And it's, it's very often the case. I've also learned that for all of the good people out there who just want to make the world a better place, want to make their world a better place, more specifically, there's a lot of people who will take advantage of you in order to make their world a better place if given the opportunity. Now, this is a thing that most people understand. Everyone's worried about getting scammed. Everyone's worried about some con artist coming to their house or someone trying to impose violence on them in order to take something. One of the beautiful things about Bitcoin is that it is a trustless system. You know what happens when you don't have to trust anyone? 
nobody has access to hurt you. Now, this isn't a podcast about feelings and relationships. Obviously, that is a different situation. You need to be able to open up your heart so that way someone can hurt you. Because otherwise, what's the point? Without, not, not with economics, not with money, not with your livelihood, not with the security of your family. We have in front of us a system where we don't have to trust other people. We don't have to ask permission from the banks or from the government in order to spend the value that we've spent years earning. Another thing that's changed for me personally is that Bitcoin has helped me realize that I have the power to change my life. Now, I find that people fall into one of two camps. You either have the people who believe point blank, that if you work hard enough, you can make anything happen. And there's truth to that, but it's not that simple. People have barriers in front of them. There are obstacles that are designed for you not to be able to overcome, so that way the system continues humming along. I mean, just look at big corporations and like the ultra-wealthy and their hiring of lobbyists to impact laws in order to keep the system functioning as it is because it's working for them. Now, I'm not here to say whether or not there's anything wrong with that. It's not really my place. That's how our system works. But at the same time, there is a huge percentage of American families who are struggling, and they don't want things to stay the same. They want things to change. Now, they largely disagree on how things should change, and that's fine. But the point is that in general, when people have power, they manipulate the system to maintain power. I mean, look at gerrymandering. Gerrymandering is just a small slice of how everything in the world works. With Bitcoin, you get some of that power back for yourself. And you start to feel like you have choices that will improve your life and that nobody can take that away from you. You know, you could work hard your whole life and you could save every dollar possible. You know, let's say, let's say you're a plumber, right? A plumber is a, an honorable profession and, and they make decent money. Most of these craft, you know, electrician and construction work and a lot of these craft manual labor kind of jobs make pretty decent money because people don't want to do it, which is why you should reconsider going to college and consider a trade school because you will make more money with less debt, and you'll just be better set getting out the door. Otherwise, you're going to be 50 years old by the time you pay off your student loans, and how are you going to start your life then? All right, end side rant. You could work this, this job as a plumber, hypothetically, and let's say you're making you know, $50,000, $60,000 a year. That's more than the average American. And let's say you're living on 70% of your income which is a very, very common goal that financial planners will tell you to do. You live on 70% and you take that other 30% and you put that towards your emergency savings, your long-term savings, and your investment portfolio, retirement, that kind of stuff. So you're saving 30% of your money. And as you get older, inflation, you know how compound interest works, right? You put your money into an investment you earn 3 4 5% a year, and because of that compound inflation, it starts to balloon, starts to hyperbolic. Well, the exact same thing happens with inflation when you save dollars. Right now, inflation is near 10%. 
It was 9.1%. CPI numbers just came out yesterday at 8.5%. Everyone's celebrating that CPI is 8.5. Don't get me wrong. It's it's good that it appears inflation has turned, that we've peaked. But we're still in pretty rough shape. So your dollars are losing value at 8.5%. That's if you believe CPI numbers, 8.5%. You know how long it takes you to double your money? If you're earning, I think the rule of thumb is, if you're earning 7% interest on your money, you will double your money every seven years. So if you're losing 7% due to inflation, your money will cut in half in real purchasing power every seven years. So you're sitting there scrolling away your $20,000 a year. You're living as meager as possible. And that $20,000 is losing value every year by design because of how the economy is supposed to function. I mean, the Federal Reserve wants 2 to 3% inflation which means they want your long-term savings to lose 2-3% value every year. Now that's not how the way the world used to excuse me. That's not how the world used to work. We've been on a hard money standard more or less throughout our entire history for like the last 5,000 years. Now we've transitioned between different currencies. I mean, different local regions have used all kinds of different stuff. I mean, tobacco leaves have been used, iron has been used, uh, beads have been used, all, all kinds of things. And as the world grew smaller through trade, through growth of technology, most of those forms of currency went away, largely because they were either incapable of holding value over time, like tobacco leaves, for example. How long does a tobacco leaf last? Or iron, for example. It rusts, right? You can't hold value in iron for a long period of time because eventually it will decompose. Well, I, I don't know. Rusting isn't decomposition, it's oxidation. It's not the point. So a long-term store of value potential is important for a money to exist on a long time frame. That's why gold was used, and that's why gold continues to beat out all of these other forms of money over time. What about like rocks? Rocks last a long time. Why don't we use that or dirt for money? Well, because it's too easy to get. Everyone can go outside and pick up a rock or pick up dirt. If we decided that dirt or rocks were money, everyone would have a ton of it, and therefore it would have no value. So that's another aspect of money that's super important. Not only does it have to be able to retain its value for a very long time by not decomposing or oxidizing or otherwise being destroyed, it also needs to be scarce. It needs to be hard to get and expensive to get. The harder it is to get and the more expensive it is to either create or find, the more value it's going to have as like a base layer. Gold, for example. I think it's like $1,600 an ounce right now or something like that. That would lead you to believe that digging gold out of the ground costs something less than $1,600 an ounce, but probably not too much less. If you could get dig gold out of the ground for $100 an ounce, Everyone and their brother would be out there mining gold right now. So the cost of finding, creating the money, which you can't really create gold, which is a huge benefit to maintaining that price action. But if the price of finding gold is significantly below the spot price of gold, people are going to produce more gold by finding it. If the price of finding gold goes up, Let's say, you know, we mined all the gold that was easy to find, that was near the surface, and all the gold that we had left 
was either deep in the core or we had to like shoot a rocket into space and go start mining an asteroid. Those two activities are more expensive. And therefore, the supply of gold would go up at a slower rate. Right now, the inflation rate on gold is like 1.5% a year or 1% a year. It's a very small amount. And it's surprisingly constant throughout history. And we create people faster than we mine gold, generally speaking. So the price of gold, going back to supply and demand, and assuming that the demand for gold is proportional to the number of people on the planet, GDP, etc., the price of gold goes up. Also, it's worth mentioning that the price of gold goes up because we compare it to U.S. dollars, and the value of U.S. dollars goes down. So compared to dollars, the price of gold goes up. But if you actually adjust the price of gold for inflation, it's been pretty flat for a long time. And that's largely because we don't use it as a monetary asset anymore. It does have a little bit of industrial use. It does have a little bit of jewelry use. And since 1971, when we came off the gold standard, ironically enough, central banks around the world have been increasing their gold reserves. I suspect a little bit of tinfoil hat moment that it's because they understand that the current inflationary monetary Keynesian economic situation that we're in has a shelf life. The only way that this system works in the long term is if the individuals in control of the purse strings have an incredible amount of discipline, monetary discipline. I think we have 50 years since we've come off the gold standard of evidence, actually longer than that because we started printing money while we were still on the gold standard and we were cheating the system. But let's just say 50 years of evidence that that is not the case. It is incredibly difficult to believe that the people who spend the money and the people who print the money being in the same group of people that doesn't incentivize bad behavior. What does that bad behavior do? It creates money printers. It creates inflation by way of debasement. There are two different forms of inflation, by the way. A lot of people try to argue with me about, oh, inflation is this, inflation is that. No, you do have inflation that is supply chain based, right? Just supply and demand. If you have 10 apples and 20 people trying to buy those apples, the price of the apples is going to go up because of supply and demand. If you have 30 apples and 20 people trying to buy those apples, then the price of the apples should go down because you have more apples and you have people. I mean, assuming everyone wants one apple. But that same thing happens with money. If you have 10 apples and 10 people, and those 10 people have $1 each, how much are the apples worth? They're probably worth a dollar because that's, that is the economy. All of the goods and services are the apples, you know, in this the bubble of an incident. And all of the money that exists in this situation is, you know, the $10, the $1 per person. Each person can afford one apple. Everyone's happy. What if every person had $5? Well, then those apples are probably worth $5. The apple's value, intrinsic value, didn't change. The only thing that changed is that people had more money. And dollars don't have any intrinsic value. They just have the value that society says they have because it's part of the system. All the dollars equals all the stuff. In this case, there's $50 in the system. 10 people have $5 each, and there's 10 apples. If each person is trying to get an apple, $5 an apple should be the average price. The apple didn't change. The money changed. That's how debasement inflation works. And that is the inflation that Bitcoiners are generally concerned with. And that is the inflation that Bitcoin generally 
benefits from. Man, I forgot for a minute that we're talking about things that I've learned that Bitcoin taught me. I mean, that's all stuff. All of that is all stuff that I knew nothing about six or seven years ago. All right, let's wrap this up. I just got like two more things I want to say. The last one before I went off on my tangent was that I had the power to change my future. And that's largely because Bitcoin gives me the power to work in a outside third-party system that can't be manipulated for the good of others at the detriment of myself. That has also taught me the value of having a low time preference. You know, the current system encourages you because your money, because your savings lose value, it encourages you to spend that money now. It's no coincidence that more than 50% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, and it kind of doesn't matter how much money you make. I mean, to a point, there are plenty of doctors, lawyers, dentists who make three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year who live paycheck to paycheck, who don't have three months saved. Now, some of this is cultural consumerism, and some of this is it's better to spend now and get stuff now because stuff will retain value. I mean, some stuff will, like your car is not going to, than to save that money. And again, 7% inflation means that you lose seven or you lose 50% of your value over the course of seven years. You put a hundred grand away and then you wait seven years. I mean, today a hundred grand will buy, I mean, let's say it'll buy a Model S. I don't think it will, but let's say it'll buy a Tesla Model S. Well, theoretically, seven years from now, you'll need 200 grand to buy that same Tesla Model S. Now, grand technology is a little bit special because the way technology adoption, or sorry, the way technology growth happens, it gets smaller, faster, stronger relatively quickly compared to at least inflation in this case. So the price of TVs and the price of computers and therefore the price of Teslas should actually go down over time. But when you're talking about like hard goods, uh, I don't know if that's actually a term for it, but that's what I'm going to call it. I'm, I'm going to say things like bread. The price of bread, sorry, the value of bread hasn't really changed in probably 100 years, probably longer. Now, the price of bread has changed. And that's because the value of the dollar has changed. But the amount of energy, the amount of effort, the process of making bread is relatively unchanged. And therefore, the inputs that go into it are the same. And the value of the bread for a consumer is the same. So if your savings was capable of buying more bread in the future, I don't want to use bread because that's a consumption thing. I mean, that's the idea of like, oh, why do we need inflation? Why is it good for the economy? Because it encourages people to spend. Well, it does, but it's bad for the individual. And people spend what they can afford because people like things. People like to consume People like luxuries. They like to travel. They like they like good food. They like all these things. So if we were back on a gold standard and people actually used gold as a means of savings and that gold went up in value over time because of increases in GDP and increases of population, therefore increases in the demand side of the equation, are you telling me that people wouldn't spend their savings on stuff? No, of course they would. Now, maybe they'd be a little bit less likely to live paycheck to paycheck. but you're not going to live a, I mean, the most people aren't going to live a $30,000 a year lifestyle when you have $10 million in the bank. Nobody does that. 
Very, very, very few people do that. It's fringe case stuff. So you're going to live on what you can afford, but you're going to do it in a smarter way because you don't feel pressure to spend the money before it loses value. And another big thing with this same exact concept is how uh, corporate investing works. When there's so much easy money out there and that easy money is losing value, you have to do something with it because you don't want a sure loss. If I told you I have this great investment for you, you give me your $100,000, you give me your $10,000, you give me your $1,000, it doesn't matter. And I promise you, I will take it and I will give you back 90% of it when I'm done. You're going to lose 10%. Are you going to take it? Of course you're not going to take it. That's ridiculous. Well, that's the options that people have. If you're in the bond market and your yield is 2%, but inflation is 8.5%, you are losing 6.5% on that money guaranteed every year. So what do you do? You don't invest in bonds as much, and you go and you take out some risks on some companies that aren't so sound because, you know what, maybe they'll hit, but at least I got a chance. So now you have all this easy money going to all these business ventures that may or may not be sound investments. What happens when you go back onto a hard money standard, whether it be gold or Bitcoin? People are only going to spend that savings because it's going to retain its value. So they're only going to spend that savings on investments that should beat the market, that should beat the value of their asset, whether it be gold or Bitcoin. Right now, to make a quote-unquote good investment, all you have to do is not lose more than 8.5% a year. That's not positive growth. That's not good for the economy. That's not good for society. What if the investor mindset shifted from I only have to beat negative 8.5% a year of growth into I have to beat 5% a year of positive growth? They're going to be much more diligent. They're going to do more homework. And they're only going to invest in companies that are fixing a real problem in a way that actually works. All things Bitcoin has taught me. The last one I want to cover is for me personally, Bitcoin has given me hope. A lot of it about a better future. Because I've learned so much about how the economy works and because I've learned about how the Fed works and just fiat money in general and the incentives that fiat money imposes on the world. You can ask most people about our current system, about the way our government spends money, about the way the world spends money, about debt accumulation, public and private, about the market being a credit-based market. Ask them about all these different things that our system has created and embraces. And most people are going to tell you that that is not sustainable. Everyone knows that for your home checking situation, for your home budget, your home balance sheet, you have to run a balanced budget or you have to have like a surplus. If you don't, you will end up broke and homeless. It doesn't matter how many credit cards you use and how fast you rack them up. I mean, it does. But just because you spent money on a credit card doesn't mean, oh, I'm good to go. It's quite the opposite, actually. It just takes longer. If you live off credit cards and you live outside your means, eventually someone's going to come knocking and looking for that money. That is not different than the federal government. I mean, with the exception of they can, pro they can promote inflation 
by way of money printing, which devalues all of their debt, which actually makes them owe less money. They can print their way out of debt, which is why the global reserve currency is so incredibly powerful. But I digress. Going back to a hard money standard, which I envision as a Bitcoin standard, because I think it's impossible that the world is ever going to choose to go back to a gold standard. And Bitcoin isn't asking. Bitcoin is what it is. It doesn't care about your policy. It doesn't care about the choices that you're making. It doesn't care how much money you print. It doesn't care about your debt. It doesn't care about financing wars. It doesn't care about any of that. It's on autopilot. It's not slowing down. It can't be turned off. It is a better form of money. It is going back to gold, except for gold is crap as a currency. It's a great money. Don't get these two concepts confused. Money and currency are not the same thing. Gold is a great money. It is a terrible currency. How much gold for that pencil or that Starbucks? You bring a brick there and you shave off a sliver with your knife? Like, what's the right amount? That's why we made dollars to begin with. Dollars was a representation of gold. Gold was a good money. Dollars was a better currency. Once we separated the two and we turned money, or sorry, once we separated the two and we turned dollars into money, dollars is a terrible money. It's terrible for individuals. It's terrible for the government. I mean, it's great for the government for like right now because you can print money and spend as much as you want and there's not really any consequences. Back in the day, you had to either tax or take out debt. The reason why we separate from the gold standard is because we couldn't tax people anymore because they would riot and they would vote out everyone who did that. And we couldn't take on any more debt because countries started come, coming to the United States and asking for their gold reserves back because they saw that we weren't playing by the rules. So we separated by the gold standard. We put the whole planet on this floating fiat system and it, it has a shelf life. It does. So Bitcoin gives me hope. It gives me hope that we can fabricate a better tomorrow, that we can go back to a hard money standard. We have a hard money now that has all the positive qualities of gold. And it also has so much more functionality than gold as a currency. Yeah, layer one can only do seven transactions a minute. That's not, that's not very good. But we're building layer twos and layer threes on top of it. The Lightning Network is infinitely scalable, which means it can do an infinite number of transactions per second, essentially. And it's also basically free. The Lightning Network makes Bitcoin a fantastic currency. The Bitcoin Network makes Bitcoin a fantastic money. Bitcoin is just old school money done in a new way that everyone has access to. It's completely voluntary. It's trustless. It's permissionless. And it provides every individual on this planet who has access to the internet with the ability to be self-sovereign when it comes to their financial situation. If you still think that Bitcoin doesn't have any real value because you can't touch it in your hand, I don't know what to tell you. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Y'all have a great day. Cheers. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate y'all tuning in. Comments are welcome. Feel free to say hello. 
If you know anyone who can benefit from this content, please go ahead and share it with them. You can find me on Substack, Twitter, all the podcast platforms. If you're listening to this, I encourage you to check out Fountain. You can stack sats for free just for listening to the podcast. I have a link for that in the show notes. Also, you can earn more sats by playing Blinko, which is on the Choice app. You can start sacking sats in an IRA. Putting Bitcoin into a retirement account that will never see taxes is something that everyone should be considering. All right, y'all. Have a great day. See you next time.